Our first scripture reading is from Zephaniah, a lesser-known prophet, Zephaniah. Uh, Chapter 3, we're reading verses 14 through 20. Sing aloud, O daughter Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you. He has turned away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall fear disaster no more. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear, O Zion. Do not let your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior who gives victory. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will renew you in his love. He will exult over you with loud singing as on a day of festival. I will remove disaster from you so that you will not bear reproach for it. I will deal with all your oppressors at that time. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast. And I will change their shame into praise and renown in all of the earth. At that time, I will bring you home. At that time, I will gather you. And for I will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. The word of God for the people of God. Our next scripture reading is going to be from the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And it goes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything be in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, and let your request be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Jesus Christ our Lord. The word of God for the people of God. God. Our gospel text for today. Is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. All went to their own towns to be registered. Joseph also went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David called Bethlehem because he was descended from the house and family of David. He went to be registered with Mary, to whom he was engaged, and who was expecting a child. The word of God for the people of God. So it's kind of weird cutting off right there. Uh, I know it's kind of like the prelude to uh, our normal nativity story. But as we've been going through this Advent, if you remember, we've been spending our time looking at the settings of the stories uh, of the nativity. The first week we talked about Zechariah being in the sanctuary in the, in the temple of God, uh, when the angel said, oh, you don't believe me, you can just not talk for 10 months, which for some of us would be a blessing and some of us would be the worst thing that ever happened. Um, and how Zachariah's life changed through that experience. In the second week, Alicia talked to us about Mary visiting the house of Zechariah and Elizabeth and how being in the home of a loved one allowed her to hear the words of God in a new and beautiful way. So this week, we arrive to our third setting, which is a weird setting. It is the setting of being in transit, of being in the busy places, in the moments when it doesn't feel like we're anywhere because we're in between two different places. As we know, Joseph and Mary and Luke's gospel have been living in Nazareth. But because of this weird set of circumstances, 
while you know they're very close to having a baby show up, they are suddenly finding themselves on the trek from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Our text today shows us this trek from one city to the other and why they made this move in the first place. So, like I said, our setting today is in transit. It is in the busy places where we feel like we can't center ourselves, we can't get control, and we can't keep our head above water. And this is a timely setting. I understand that we're in Advent season, but the rest of the world, it's Christmas time, and it is the time of running. It is the time of making sure that every present is appropriately wrapped and making sure that every present is appropriately labeled and making sure that everyone is getting the candies that they want to get and the cookies that they are asking for all year long and making sure that all of the parties are well attended and making sure that everyone is happy and it is constant running. For many of us, that's, it's, we're kind of short today on folks because a lot of folks are already out of town, already on their way to families uh, near and far. And for a lot of us, we have people on their way to our houses. They're on their way to come to see us. And we have to make sure that there's room. And we have to make sure that there is heat. And we have to make sure that there is Everything that needs to happen in order for this season to go off without a hitch it is constant running. I was reminded of this disparity between what we're talking about and how we talk about Advent as anticipation and how we talk about and how the rest of the world and all of us as we leave this place are suddenly in Christmas mode because we had our Christmas luncheon or our holiday luncheon because uh, uh, we have a, quite a few Jewish folks at the Rhodes as well uh, this past week. And there was a uh, biology faculty member I was standing next to in line as we were getting our food. Uh, and she had on one of those ugly Christmas sweaters with the lights on it, you know, one of those. Uh, and she's like, I'm really disappointed that I'm the only person that wore a Christmas sweater to this shindig. And she's standing right next to me. And I was in like a blue zip-up sweater. Uh, and I was... I just immediately high-roaded because I realized after I said this that the kind of jokes that I make here don't really play at work. Uh, because I said, well, you know, it's Advent, so I'm wearing blue uh, or purple, and I'm not going to wear green and red until the 24th. And she's like, oh, he got religious on me. I got to step away. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so it's just I realized very quickly there was this disparity. But Yesterday, Alicia, or Eden and I went to pick up the toys for the kid we have for the Christmas offering. And I don't know if any of y'all have tried going to Walmart or Target in the last two or three days, but that was a reminder of the running because that's all people were seeming to do while pushing carts. Also, the kid asked for Batman toys. And I don't know if y'all are aware, there is no Batman TV show on right now and there is no Batman movie that came out this year. So there are very few Batman toys. We had to wade through the Spider-Mans and the Thanoses and all of these different things in order to uh, find the three Batman toys that were available in all three of those places because that's basically all we could find. But there were people all over the place fighting, clamoring for things. There's constant busyness going on. So this season is a season of busyness. Not only is this season a season of busyness, it is a season of transit. It is a season of movement between places in this story. As Joseph and Mary are 
moving from Bethlehem to Nazareth. I don't know if y'all are familiar, but geographically, that's about a 100-mile walk. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's quite a bit of a trek, uh, especially in the third trimester. I know just from experience that I don't think I would want to go down the road with a nine-month pregnant Alicia. I don't know if I would want... It's, it's hard enough getting a nine-month pregnant Alicia in the car, nonetheless getting her on a camel and moving 100 miles. I will, I will hear about that later. But imagine the walk, the treacherous walk through the wilderness with the baby on a way. These are not well-lit highways, but rather hills, mountains, deserts, in which you don't know what's going to happen. But life is like that, though, right? We can't really pretend like we're ever really in one spot for very long. We tend to be a people on the move, either literally or figuratively. We tend to be a people who, as soon as we enter a phase of life, we're looking forward to the next one. We tend to be a people who, no matter what our station is, there is always something on the horizon. And we tend to be a people who, when things seem lost, when we don't know what direction to go, it feels kind of like we're walking through the wilderness. So this is familiar territory. This is familiar spaces. And it's often when we talk about the settings of the nativity story, it's the, story, the part of it that we tend to forget because we tend to go from the Bethlehem experience to, or from the Nazareth experience with the angels showing up and telling them, hey, this is what's going on, to the Bethlehem experience when the baby is here and the star is shining. I don't know if y'all are familiar with sharks, but the thing about a shark is that a shark has to keep moving. Basically, the way that they're, they're situated biologically, in order for them to continue getting oxygen from the water, they have to keep moving. And that's kind of how it feels, right? As we're moving about, as we're going from place to place, it feels like if we stop and we rest, we can't breathe. If we stop and we rest, we die. And I know that's what life has felt like with us as we've moved from one kid to the next, as we've moved from a toddler to a preschooler to a first grader and constantly moving. This year, especially with just first grade etc. It seems like there's constantly stuff they're having us do. There's constantly stuff we're having to do. And on top of that, Alicia's been in school. We've been doing all of y'all's, all of this church stuff, which we love dearly, but it makes it seem like rest is impossible. I don't know if anybody else feels like that today. We want the walk to be a walk with with mile markers and with easy signs of where to go next. Because if we're going to keep moving, we just want to know the direction, right? I think about all these toys that, you know, you just throw the batteries in them and you flip the switch and they just start moving, you know? At least, you know, twist it to where it goes in the right direction. Or at least have it to where when it bangs into a wall, it can bounce off well. But that's not always what life feels like. Sometimes life in these transitions and in this movement it feels like we don't know what the next step looks like. Does that sound like life for anyone today? I know it does for me. And I know that this story of Joseph's and Mary's travel connects with us during Advent because of the busyness, but also the anticipation of the light, the anticipation of seeing the next step. As we go through Advent and we are 
talking about the anticipation of the coming of Christ. Christ already came, but Christ is coming again. And the example of Christ is, allows us to have the next step as we wait for whenever that coming again might be. We know that while they're walking through the wilderness together, they're not taking a vacation for their own benefit. They're not doing this for fun. The text tells us, the gospel writer tells us that they are walking because of the, the, the will and whim of Caesar Augustus. They're it also goes out of our way to tell us that Quirinius is the governor of Syria. I don't think this is accidental. I don't think Luke is just bringing up this, like, hey, you remember that one time when you know, Caesar you know, made us walk 100 miles when you were not? No, it's not one of those conversations. It is an intentional reminder that this is not done of their own free will. Because as we go through the busyness of life and as we go through the traveling and transitioning where we don't know what the next step is. We're also going through what the world wants us to go through. We're also moving in the way that the world wants us to move. But as we talk about settings, right, we can't talk about the setting of a story without talking about why they're there. And this is why they're there for many of us as well. This is why we do what we do because the world has us moving. The world has the world is spinning, and if we don't keep running with it, we're going to get lost. So before we even zoom into the movement of Joseph and Mary, we see the powers and principalities that are forcing them into this uncomfortable situation. Now, the text that I read from today said that they were going to be counted. They were going to be, there was a census. And I'm not normally the most King James person in the world, but I love that King James doesn't cut the fat when it says that they're there to be taxed, because really why else would the leader of a whole empire want to know where everybody is if not to know how much money they can get out of them, right? And it's not like they're really getting much benefit out of that and being a part of one of the biggest empires the world history has ever seen. Of course, why have an empire the size of Rome in the first place unless you're benefiting from it? It's not like life isn't hard enough for these people the baby is on the way, but the world makes things just a little bit harder. If the world had its way, these two lovebirds would be less than a footnote in world history as Augustus continues Rome towards the trajectory that Rome is carried towards, and world history would continue focusing on these rulers and these leaders and these armies and nothing else. But World history didn't have its way. We know the story of Mary and Joseph because we know Jesus. We know the story of Mary and Joseph because the story of Mary and Joseph leads us towards the Savior. I can't help but believe the writer of Luke's gospel realized that intentionally pointing out this is the world before Jesus allows us to see how insignificant the actions of these world leaders were in comparison. I believe the writer is pointing this out to us because ultimately the world didn't win. And we have to remember that in order to remember my main point for us today. The world wants to keep spinning. The world wants to keep 
having us run on hamster wheels day after day. But the world doesn't win, y'all. The world doesn't get the last say. And so when we're in these busy places, when we feel like constant moving is the only way that we can survive, we have to remember the commandment God gave us to rest. We have to remember that God wants us to rest in God, but also to rest from the way the world wants us to live. God, through the Ten Commandments, one of the commandments, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. I remember sitting in Sunday school as a kid, learning these Ten Commandments, and picking up for the most part, all right, I probably shouldn't kill anybody. That sounds, I'll keep that in mind for future. All right, don't steal and don't lie, I got this. But as soon as the Sabbath one came up, I raised my hand and said, hey, uh, can we stop and, and talk a little bit more about this? Because this is a new concept for me. And she did her best, basically saying, hey, you should come to church. Uh, it was the conversation that she ended up having, which, that's, I mean, there's something to be said there, but for the most part, she didn't really know how to answer the question because we tend to struggle with this concept of Sabbath. We tend to struggle with the idea of how to not run. For most of us, my old Sunday school teacher included, Sabbath is a foreign concept. It is hard to say, the world never wants me to stop, so I should stop. You have to take a moment of rest for God's sake. One of my favorite writers is a guy named Walter Brueggemann, and in his book, Sabbath as Resistance, he said, in our own contemporary context of the rat race of anxiety, the celebration of Sabbath is an act of both resistance and alternative. It is resistance because it is a visible insistence that our lives are not defined by the production and consumption of commodity goods. But rest is hard. The world is telling us not to, and that is so ingrained in us that it feels like we're giving up. It feels like failure when we rest. It feels like the world's going to keep going and leave us behind. Nothing encapsulates this fear more than the experience of trying to put Winifred June to nap. I, Alicia talked a couple of months ago about the beauty of rocking Winnie to sleep, and we still rock Winnie to sleep. And she told this beautiful story about how you hold her, and she slowly goes to sleep in your arms as you're listening to Jesus music, and it's this great experience. And that was a beautiful story, and most of it was a lie, because it very seldom goes that way. There are a couple of times when we're rocking her to sleep, and she falls asleep beautifully. There's sometimes, in those times, I will treasure forever, but most of the time, it is like fighting a wild boar. <laughs> because she doesn't want to sleep. You hold her, and we talk about rocking her, and she's almost three. We're not doing this because it's fun. We're not doing this because it's sweet. We're doing this because it is a requirement, because it's the only way to get her to sleep without her consent or medication. <laughs> Y'all, I'm going to tell you, she hates taking a nap because she feels like, I guess, that the play is going to continue without her, that there is going to be something she's going to miss. 
there's going to be some brilliant thing that happens on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse that she will never know if she sleeps. So you hold her and she immediately starts, the, 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 she starts being manipulative first. She starts talking and joking and trying to get you to laugh because if you laugh, then you can't make her sleep. And so she starts telling stories. She starts giggling and trying to ask questions. That's, my, that's when she knows that she's got me wrapped around her finger because she starts asking questions about, what's this? Why does that happen? What's this on your face? These kind of questions. But when those stop working is when she starts getting a little meaner. She starts taking your glasses off your face. She starts pulling on my beard a little. And when I stop her normally by like basically wrapping my arms around her arms is when it becomes wearing, I stop being a dad and start being a, a living straight jacket for all intents and purposes. I start basically wrestling her into submission to when she basically says, oh, so this is how this is going to go. I guess I'll take a nap. And she passes out finally, not out of this sweetness, but out of desperation and that's when we actually are able to get some stuff done around the house. But that's also when this isn't just so we can get stuff done around the house or God forbid we take a nap too. That happens every now and then, but very seldom these days. But the main reason is because Winifred gets to enjoy life more when she's rested. Winifred gets to enjoy the thing she loves more when she wakes up from a good nap. She gets to see the beauty of the day-to-day -day and not the cranky, tired, abominableness that it tends to come without a nap. And I can't think of a better example of what life is like for us because without rest, it's hard to see what God has us to see. Without rest, it is hard to see what God wants us to do. Without rest, it's hard to see what the next step is because when we're walking and don't know where to go, rest is what God can use to illuminate us. In a time like now, when it's easy to get swept up in the speed and intensity of the world, taking the time out of the day, taking the time out of the week, taking the time out of the year to rest is important. It takes this time to orient ourselves to the way God would have us go. It takes this time to step off of the wide path for once and walk the narrow path that God has set out for us. It gives us the opportunity to look at where we're going, how we got to where we are, and where we're best serving and going next. And it gives us the opportunity to anticipate God's movement in the world, whatever and wherever that might take us. When we take the time to stop and rest, we take the time to become more like God and more like who, what God would have us be. Let us pray.